1: To fans. welcome to the Parastyle Podcast on a Tuesday. We're going to talk some USC Trojan football. It's move in day for the incoming freshman class of 2019. We got some questions from all of you about what's going on with this USC football program, some positive momentum. We've been talking about it, so things are looking up a little bit. So it's be some fun things to talk about. We got some good questions, some good comments. We'll get to all of that with uh, Keely Yor and Dan Weber. We got Keely in studio, Dan Weber on the line. If you have any questions for us, uh, send us an email. We love those. Podcast at uscfootball.com is the email address. Or if you'd rather text or call us, you can do that too. 424-254-9141 is the number. Send us a text. Leave us a voicemail. We do love to hear from you. We do also love to... Get your comments on our, our Apple Podcast, used to be called iTunes, Apple Apple Podcast page, Google Play, Stitcher Radio, all that. Leave us five star reviews, ratings. Uh, those are awesome. We do appreciate all of that. Tell your friends. If you got a USC football friend, tell them about the Parastyle Podcast. That really helps. You share it with them. It really helps us propagate the show out to the masses. We've been doing this. is our 12th football season coming up. Going to be absolutely crazy. Lots of weird stuff going on. Keely, yours in studio, she's ready for a crazy season.
2: Hello, hello. I am indeed.
1: You're but ready. But it's still June. It's June. But there's crazy stuff. There's <laughs> yes. always going to be crazy stuff going on. Indeed. Uh, sometimes it's not good. Sometimes it's good. It's been better lately. And we got Dan Weber on the line, like I said. Hello, Dan. You're always ready for hey. some craziness.
0: Oh, uh, How could you not be? It's <laughs> USC football. I mean, come on. Yeah. You know. It's, uh, it, 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 I mean, one of the, I mean. Everybody pays attention to it. I think USC's probably generated more off-season national news than any other program. I don't think there's another program that's had as many things, uh, happen and gotten as much coverage. It's amazing. I, I think I went back through like, uh, ESPN's, uh, college football, uh, blog and maybe the last, uh, you know, top, like read the top 20 headlines and three of them were USC headlines. I mean, it's just, you know, Coming off a of five and seven season, and USC stays still in the news and stays in the news. It you know, it's an example I think of, of the possibilities for USC if they get their act together. Uh, you know, USC is never going to be far away. You know, from having you know the kind of program it had when you know when Pete Carroll was here. It didn't take Pete long, you know, to to get back to where he wanted you know wanted this thing to be, and uh, you know it's. That's the gift of USC if you get it right, and if people at USC want you to get it right or allow you to get it right, and then you've got to have the right people in place. But uh, it's been a kind of an amazing year for the news that's been generated by USC football.
1: Yeah, for sure. There was a lot of negative news in uh, January. There's been a lot of positive news over the last couple of weeks. So we're gonna we talked about a lot of that stuff. We'll get to a little bit more. But before we do, wanted to thank Trader Joe's. Been a great sponsor for us here. On the Peristyle Podcast for the last couple of years, Uh, my wife's actually been out of town visiting family, so I've made frequent trips, Keely, over to Trader Joe's, picking up some different things, you know, little meals you can make yourself, so I did the gorgonzola um, gnocchi, which I like. so yeah, it's like, there's a lot of cheese in it, you make it right, you don't have to like even boil water or anything, you make it right on like a saucepan, so it's like the gorgonzola and the cheese, you just kind of cook it together for like seven, eight minutes boom and you're done so i was like i bought some sauce i didn't realize it like you don't need any of that stuff so another one i've tried and, ryan's uh,
2: recommendations try, you know
1: i try to like help the people help uh the it's masses. good stuff but like when i feel i feel like i'm living like a bachelor you know with my wife out of town so like i yeah, make some of those things and some of the stuff for you know you make for two Some you for one this was a, a one person maybe i shouldn't have ate it the whole thing in one sitting but it was good
2: nice <laughs> An update on me. I, I actually got the marinated chicken. The it's like the chili lime okay. marinade. Very good. I recommend it as well. There nice. You go.
1: All right. Uh, well, that's our Trader Joe's talk for today. But you guys make sure you go check it out. Um, yeah, I just went yesterday, so I picked up some more things. But I forgot yogurt though. For I forgot for my breakfast. I forgot How to get the you yogurt. Do that? They have it's good. I like the peach and the the mango mix mm. and stuff. Um, but anyway, so let's get into some USC football talk. There was. Uh, Dan, I don't know if you heard. There was some like politician kind of getting involved with like the naming <laughs> rights of the Coliseum. I don't know if you heard about this, but apparently yeah. USC and uh, and United Airlines have come to a deal. It's going to be naming the field instead of the stadium itself.
0: Yeah, I mean, I wish uh, we knew they were in trouble the day they announced it. The name didn't work. United Airlines uh, Memorial Coliseum. Uh, you, you know, you just didn't want to take out Los Angeles to begin with. I mean, it's almost, as Arash Mikazi pointed out today, you know, it's 100 years old, uh, essentially. And uh, you just don't change the name like that. Now, I think they would, if they'd have been a little smarter, I think they should have basically gone with United, uh, Los Angeles Memorial Coliseum, and just added the United uh, distinctive, you know, lettering that they have on their planes and their, and their logo above the classic Los Angeles Memorial Coliseum logo that you see on the peristyle with the five, you know, Olympic rings below. I think that one had a chance, uh, of keeping the, uh, old name, uh, you know, the name everybody knows and adding just the one other word. And he didn't need to add United airlines. The, the, as soon as they put the two words, that was, they were, you know, that wasn't going to happen. And, um, and, and unfortunately, you know, it's going to cost USC a lot of money. I think, you know, we're hearing, uh, they may just, you know, feel like it's only worth a third of the $69 million, you know, originally. Uh, and that may be, you know, in United realizing there's not that much value. I don't know that there's any value in United Airlines field. I mean, for whatever USC is getting for that, that's like, you know, bonus money. Cause I'm not sure, you know, you're not giving away anything with, uh, Naming your field. Uh, what I don't think we know is—is is that mean? You know—is that the exclusivity? I mean, you know, does USC still have any ability to name the stadium? I mean, if you sold the rights to the field, could you still come up with somebody to sponsor the stadium? I don't know. And it's only a 10-year deal, so and you know, before we're—I guess—the 10 year takes them through the Olympics. So where you would think it'll have the value even though the olympics put some uh you know strictures on what you're allowed to do with the name but but yeah i don't think it was handled all that well it gave a politician janice Hahn, a chance to you know kind of grandstand she's the head of the coliseum commission which has done literally nothing for (laughs) us over all these years yeah and then to come up and cost usc a bunch of money uh you know just typical of you know, politicians in LA. The only problem was she kind of hit a point. I mean, that's what you hate, you know, is that they gave her a point by, you know, coming up with this really bad name. I, I still remember when Max Nikias announced it and they, you know, they passed out the, um, the press release. You uh, know, you just thought, no, United airlines Memorial Coliseum isn't going to work. It's not, it's just not feasible. Nobody's going to call it that. Uh, and it's just awkward. Um, that nobody realized that before it happened. You know, we're talking $69 million and like all these, you know, marketing geniuses, I guess at United and I'm sure at USC had no clue that that wasn't going to go. Yeah. Like it's, a lot of things. Why yeah. are we not surprised? Right, yeah.
1: It's like shock face. No, like the, <laughs> oh, wait, wait, USC didn't think something through and didn't really, you know, did the execution wasn't uh, great or anything? Like, yeah, let's, you're not really... Uh, Shocked at something like that. but
0: And, 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 uh, and I, guess, I guarantee you, I gave you 10 years in the FBI to work on You couldn't find out who at USC made that decision. <laughs> not way, no hell. There is no way. You could not interview every one of them under penalty of perjury. You could not find out who made that call for USC. Yeah. Couldn't do it. Not a chance, like a lot of things.
1: But, I, you know, in the end of the day, I tweeted this, like, I didn't have a, an issue with the... Uh, um you know, the compromise, it's like, yeah, it's only 10 years. And, you know, I don't know how much less money it is, but it's also, you know, I like naming the field a lot better than naming the stadium and losing Los Angeles and all that stuff. So, I mean, I I think it turns out fine. Uh, It's just, you know, you kind of look silly by doing it in the first place. Well,
0: and the other thing I think will be interesting is what are they going to do to the field for the Olympics in in 2028? Uh, You know, there are a lot of people who think, they're going to have to raise the field or raise the, whatever that, I don't even know if you're going to call it a field, you know, to put a track in and, and all of that. Uh, I think there's going to be some, you know, just tricky stuff happening in terms of how, how things go. And I know there are other people who have suggested that one of the ways to put in and replace some of the, you know, good seats that were taken in the, uh, uh, you know, in the uh, building of the tower is to lower the field and uh, you know, make the field you know, 10 or 12 feet lower and uh, enable you to put in a whole you know f- separate section of seats all the way around you know, the Coliseum and have better sight lines uh, for the people above. I don't know if that's even a, a possibility. It's one that's not terribly expensive uh, to do if USC becomes you know, the kind of program where they decide uh, 77,500 seats isn't enough. Uh, So we'll see, but uh, yeah, the field might be an interesting place uh, the next 10 years to figure out what's going on.
1: Yeah. Uh, We'll see. Uh, Also, uh, I don't know, Keely, if you had any thoughts on that, but
2: not really. I agree with Dan. Yeah.
1: Other news. It's a move in day at USC. So, I think Trojan fans have uh, been fed up or, you know, they've had their fill of announcements and all that kind of stuff going on. So there's two announcements we haven't got yet. Uh, You know, we know what's happening. Brew McCoy and Chris Steele will be enrolling at USC. We haven't heard as of we're recording this, if they arrived yet for move in day. So the, you know uh, but that's, you know, that's the plan. Uh, you know, sometime this week we should see them, hopefully, you know, it'll be today. We'll we'll try to find out more what's going on there. But all you know, a lot of the incoming freshmen uh that weren't spring, you know, early enrollees are supposed to be uh, arriving today. So it's kind of a uh, big news. The new crop of Trojan football players uh, should be on campus.
0: Well, yeah, I, I mean you would like to just see a lot of these guys, You'd like to see Drew Richmond, uh I think it really hasn't been announced. You know, the rumor, maybe a couple of freshmen uh, didn't make it academically. And will we, you know, maybe find that out when everybody moves in? I don't know. But uh, I don't think we've ever been told who may or may not, uh, you know, qualify academically and what, what will happen with them from that's what I'm understanding. Is that what you understand,
1: Ryan? Yeah, um, and I, I think we there,
2: put some of it in the war room.
1: Yeah, there was some war room stuff. In so there.
2: some war room stuff is in there about who was not qualifying academically, but we never uh, officially put out the word. We're not still waiting on. Right. Yeah, yeah, we're still waiting on confirmation that that is the case. Yeah.
0: So. So that you know, you might get some of that this week too. Yes.
1: Yeah. It's uh, and I, you know, I kind of get it where the you know Chris Steele's already you know he entered the transfer portal, leaving Florida and announced on Twitter that he was going to Oregon and then deleted the tweet. And it's like, I, I get there's like maybe a fatigue there where he doesn't want to really tweet out again. Like I'm going to be a Trojan, you know, like yeah. he talked to like the Oregonian and stuff. And you know, he talked to our Greg Biggins. Like it's, it's just sort of like, yeah, that's what I'm going to do, but not like making some big official announcement or anything. He'll just move him. I think it'll just be him and Bruce McCoy just moving in. And it's like, kind of moving on the, the the announcement i think they're over their announcement phases
2: yeah and i can well, understand I why that, they it, would it, be yeah,
0: yeah. <laughs> they don't need any more publicity no yeah. yeah no no none at all that's a it's a very wise pr move yeah no more pr but
1: yeah that's true so it's it is moving day so we'll uh you know these summer workouts and player run practices are going to be starting uh we are not just so you know we're not allowed to uh to film them and stuff anymore, um, unless they come on to Cromwell Field, if they're over on Howard Jones, it's closed, so they don't allow us over there. But we'll be able to get some interviews and stuff starting in July. Uh, we'll give you know we can check some stuff out, and give you guys some notes. But at this point, it's a little bit different than covering these off-season workouts before. But just if you follow Aaron Osmus on uh, Twitter or Instagram and stuff, he uh, he's tweeting out a lot of stuff. Um, Harvey Hyde didn't really like on the show yesterday. He didn't like that Aaron Osmus was having them do tug of war. He thought you could kind of get hurt. But his whole point is he wants to like get these guys competing and stuff. They've so.
2: been doing tug of war for a while though. That's not that's not, not an Aaron, Aaron Osmond thing. thing. No. Oh, okay. Oh, that's good. So
1: sorry, Coach. Uh, that was. Uh... But we had uh, Taylor uh, Ashton, uh, you know, former USC DB, kind of write a story on uh, on what he thought about Aaron Osmond. He really liked them. So it just seems like having Aaron Osmond in there has been positive for the program.
0: I mean, I like the idea that it's all about team, uh, and No, and kind of not playing favorites. I mean, just it's not about individuals when you do things like tug-of-war doesn't matter, you know, who the heck you are, what position you play, you need everybody. I think that's been missing a little bit, you know, with their approach to the, you know, the weight room and the, you know, kind of guys would take advantage a little bit and uh, maybe not always be there or not always you know, have to make that kind of a commitment. <clears throat> and I think that old school kind of, you know, let's just go after it with everybody and and you better be ready to pitch in. You better be ready to, you know, to be all in. And I think just it, it's a good counterbalance to what was going on maybe the last couple of years where it was just kind of a little optional uh, to some extent or guys thought that, you know, they knew better on their own and they could do whatever they wanted and just the atmosphere was not the kind of thing. And it showed on the field. I think it showed with, you know, things like, you know, the penalties and the discipline and all that. And I think the more you build that into everything else you do, uh, I think it pays off when you, you, when you get on the field. So I think that's kind of, you know, it's not real high tech stuff and all that. It's kind of old, you know, moving iron and, uh, and getting everybody involved and, uh, uh, and competing. I think the competing part is, is really important. I think they, they've just got to get a sense of we're going to compete every single day, every way we can. And, um, you know, I, I really like that. So, uh, yeah, I think it's, uh, I think that it's certainly a move in the right direction.
2: Yeah.
1: It, it seems like it. And, uh, and I, you know, Keely, you probably monitor the social media stuff more than me, but you do not really know if there was like this camaraderie with, with Ivan Lewis's, groups um maybe just i don't know if you saw much of that on social media but you
2: could see sometimes guys would rally around like someone doing extra bench press rep or something like that but i think dan's point stands because even though porter gustin didn't really want us to read into it i think there's something to be said for the fact that there were factions within weight and strength conditioning you know there should be a unity when it comes to a team conditioning together and and Building up their strength together. The fact that Porter Gustin had his own little disciples and this group of like, hey, we're going to do something different. I don't. We're actually going to lift weights. (laughs) Yeah, we're actually going to take this seriously. Essentially, I don't think that that speaks well to the program that they were running originally.
0: Yeah. Yeah, you you didn't want Porter to be like this great exception. You wanted him to be kind of the, you know, the model that that everybody, but I, I, you know, followed. But I think it was more with Porter. It was like. Man, he's crazy, but he's really good. <laughs> he's really doing that well, and that, you know. But that's not me. I'm not doing that. Yeah, it really was. A, and that's I think one of the reasons you heard Cam Smith talking so much last summer about having meetings with the team and trying to develop leaders and trying to you know get guys all on the same page and all that. I mean, you could tell he was worried that they weren't, and there was a uh, you know between. You know Cam and Porter. That's all they talked about, and I think that was the, the all that you know last year in the uh, in July and at the Pac-12 media day. That's all those two guys talked about, and I think looking back at the, you know at the season, you can see why they were so focused on that and maybe were worried about that because it, it almost seemed like they were stepping in to try to be you know quasi coaches. And, and trying to really influence, uh, you know, the rest of the players, and I'm not sure that worked. I mean, as hard as they tried, and as uh, you know, well-meaning as they were, <clears throat> it just seemed like they were trying to make up for something that wasn't there. Yeah. And uh, and they never get there.
1: And it's you know, and you know, Ivan Lewis, he can't be a bad strength coach. I mean, Pete Carroll hired him in Seattle, so it's not like just sometimes. I don't know if See, it but doesn't. You could
2: argue Pete Carroll hired Ivan Lewis, so. Does that logic hold up?
1: <laughs> no, no, I'm saying, I, I mean, people that are complaining, well, Ivan Lewis was terrible. I'm like, well, Pete Carroll hired him. So, I mean, but it's just sort yeah, of yeah, like yeah. the situation. Sometimes it's, you know, okay, th- this is something everyone can relate to. You know, when you're you're going on your private jet and like the you have the same pilot for like the last few years and it just kind of, you know, it gets a little routine. Sometimes you just get a new pilot for your private jet and then it just feels different, you know, like that. No, I mean, obviously that's silly, but you, you know just i i said you before like if you have a gardener like we have a we live at a complex townham complex and we have the same gardener come all the time and after a while they just sort of get like nonchalant about it and you just get a new gardener and like there it's really good for a while it's just, it's different you know yeah. and so having a new voice in there a new strength and conditioning coach it's just i think it's helped it's different and it's it's different from the culture that they've built around there and uh, i i think it's helped a lot you know i mean
2: yeah, I think if you have a new voice, especially when it comes to something as hard as training and doing something where that instructor is supposed to push you on your limits, having a new voice in there is helpful, like you said. Yeah. I mean, I think maybe with someone else that you've been with a long time, you can kind of realize where you can gain the system a little bit, like where you can try and where you yeah, can kind yeah. of slack off a little bit. I, th- I think you, you make a good point there.
0: No. Yeah. I think a lot of it was the way uh, the coaches and the strength and conditioning people interacted and how you know, how much reinforcement did, did one or the other give, you know, the other group. And I don't know that that was always uh, where you wanted it to be. Whereas I just think with Aaron, it's like, no, there is no alternative here. You're going to do it my way. Um, And maybe not needing as much uh, backing up from the, you know, the coaches. I mean, I know that that was a, was a thought that the you know the weight and strength and you know conditioning people weren't getting the backing of the coaches. I get the sense with Aaron, he's not needing the backing of the coaches. That he can be kind of his own enforcer a little bit, yeah. and, and that's not a bad thing. I mean, and that's like you know, that's changing the pilot.
1: Yeah, and like looking back, like if I would have said if you said, "Hey, that's who you're going to hire," I'm like can't you go get someone out that, you know, it's a current strength and conditioning program from, you know, current strength and conditioning coach from somewhere who hadn't been at USC before, like don't get a, you know, a quote unquote retread or something. But uh, so I think you could definitely question the decision when it was made, but you know, the results so far, I think have been pretty positive. You know, it seems like at least from the player's point of view now we'll see when they get out there and stuff, but it's uh, it's yeah, it's they're They're really responding well uh, to this.
0: Yeah, I think it really depends on who you get to go back to. This is the way it was. This is how we used to do it. I mean, I think a lot of us at the time had no problem, and we would have been right if USC would have said, "You know what? We're going to go with Ed Orgeron as the head coach. He gets it. He recruits like crazy. He's going to work hard, to, you know, to be that coach that you need. He's going to he's going to demand a lot of his staff. He's going to his players." And, uh, he deserves a chance. Uh, that would have been going back to one of the foundational people, uh, one of the couple of holdovers that, uh, were here when Pete Carroll got here. And one of the smartest things Pete Carroll did was I'm going to keep Ed origin on here. Uh, and I think, you know, I think there are times when you need to go back to a little bit of your foundation. That can't be the only reason you go, you go there. And, you know, it didn't work obviously with, uh, with the last few athletic directors and the last <laughs> few uh you know head coaches. I mean it just uh that wasn't a good reason uh you know to bring them in. That wasn't what you needed. But if the guy is what you needed, which I think Ed Ogeron would have been at the time, and maybe Aaron Osmus is in that same position, that he brings the uh he brings the you know, the kind of the you know the approach and the skill set and all of that to uh, Uh, he's what you need. Uh, I still remember the Bengals growing up in Cincinnati and Paul Brown came in and Paul Brown for, you know, a lot of people don't remember Paul Brown was, he was the genius who innovated so many things in in football and, um, and he would hire kind of a series of, um, of coaches in his own image after he got out of coaching. And none of them worked. I mean, it just just didn't work to have somebody coaching for Paul Brown, coaching the Bengals. So he was so embarrassed how it was going, he went out and hired a Vince Lombardi disciple, Forrest Gregg. And Forrest Gregg, he had no idea he was supposed to kowtow to Paul Brown. He just did what he did. He just acted like, you know, whatever he wanted to do as a head coach, he was going to be able to do. And he didn't have to clear it with Paul. He didn't clear it with Paul. He just did it. And I think that's a little bit with Aaron Osmus now. He just does what he does. And he's not like, well, what do you think I should do here, you know, to the coaches or what do you – no, I think he's just – this is what we're going to do, and we're going to do it. And I think that on authenticity comes through, uh, you know, with the players. I think they can see he's in charge. He's calling the shots. He really believes in what he's doing, and you better believe in it too. And I think so far, uh, it's the approach USC needed right now.
1: Cool. Well, should we get into some questions, Keely?
2: We can. Uh, We have a text from Nameless who says, Does USC's new offense open the door for scoring too quickly and therefore putting their defense back on the field without adequate rest?
0: Well, I mean, that's always been the, uh, you know, the charge against uh, when Oregon was doing it. Uh, I think a lot of that was Oregon didn't have a lot of players on defense. I mean, but yeah, they would score in a couple of minutes. And, uh, and, and you know, when you go into this kind of an offense, you better build in the fact that your defense is going to play more plays because there's going to be more plays uh, in the game. And there is going to be more possibility of, of uh, you know, scoring quickly or uh, because you're throwing the ball so much, the clock's stopping. And, uh, you know, I think that's why it's absolutely, you know, you know, you just have to do what Clancy's kind of said he was going to do the last couple of years. And what he's promised he's going to do this year is get more guys on the field, you know, get more rotations, get more people ready to play and not, you know, one of these, well, they aren't quite ready or they don't communicate. It's only been three years they're in the system and, you know, it takes more than that to no stop it, cut it back, you know, just get them out there and get them playing. You got enough bodies, you got enough athletes, you got enough physical talent. Uh, you got to figure out how to get them on the field. So my hope is for USC, from USC's point of view, is that those two things work together, is that the defense understands just by the nature of the offense, they're going to be on the field more and more quickly. And that's why you have to have more rotation. So, uh, so I, I don't think it ought to be a worry. I, I think USC ought to be in good shape in games like that, where you know you line up your personnel against their personnel and say, we've got more bodies than you've got. And, um, so, but yeah, I, think, I don't think it's a worry. I just think it's something you have to be aware of.
1: I have an alternate theory. I think I brought this up on Tunnel Vision last week. By the way, Tunnel Vision, uh, Wednesday nights, uh, 6 p.m. Pacific. You guys check it out on YouTube, Facebook, and uh, Periscope. I think I brought this up. So USC's offense was kind of like the big play, hero ball sort of thing. I think now you're going to see a more efficient offense. Certainly going to be more plays. There will be more scoring. But I think there's going to be more first downs and more moving the chain. So an unsuccessful drive, instead of going three and out and and punting and leaving the defense like at the 50-yard line, it might get a couple of first downs and you pin the opponent deep. So I think because the offense will be able to move the chains better than what we saw before, that it might actually put less pressure on the defense. I don't know what you guys think about that.
0: No, I think that's a great point. That three and out, the worst thing USC could do is three and out and then a short punt. And they did that a lot a last lot. year, <laughs> a, a lot, a lot, a lot. They didn't flip the, they didn't flip the field with their offense and then they couldn't flip it with their punting. And here you go. You're given the, you know, the other team really good field position and they've only been on the, you know, uh, the defense only been on the bench, uh, you know, for a series and you didn't have enough guys ready to play on, on defense. Uh, so, I think you may well be onto something, Ryan. I think it, it may work that way because it is a first down defense. They're not, you know, they're not. I mean, they didn't show much of this in, in spring because they, they purposely didn't. But they will take shot plays, as they call them. They'll take a shot and they'll try to throw the ball deep and they'll try to set it up and try to set it up and what have you. But this offense isn't designed, uh, you know, to to throw the you know the home run uh, this is a, you know, this is a possession offense. You know, it's it, it, they go fast and you got a lot of guys going a lot of different directions and they're going to, you know, take advantage of, of, of people with, uh, you know, with personnel and formations and all that. But, uh, uh, but I think, yeah, I think it could, I just think there will be more plays in every game, how that, you know, factors in to the defense. I don't know, but, uh, I don't think it could be any worse than, than it was this year. Yeah. And, and to, if it gets more guy if it gets more guys ready to play where they know they have to have more ready to play on defense, then it's really done its job.
2: And to both of your guys' points, I know we referenced it a lot, but that Cam Smith interview uh, on the last game, the Notre Dame game, he was saying, you know, with Sam Darnold I felt like as a defense, we always knew that they could go back and score and, and give us some time. And he was like, I didn't feel like that really happened this year. We didn't yeah. we we weren't confident that they could go out there and at least get a couple first downs. So I think just scoring too quickly at least has positivity to it. It has more yeah. momentum. Whereas this defense last year was accustomed to three and outs, not scoring, having yeah. to go back out there for a long time. So I think if anything, to Ryan's point, I think it's a, a positive step forward. Yeah. So we have a question from John in Brea. He says, let's say USC can go 9-3 in 2019. Which of the three following six games on the 2019 schedule are the most important for USC to win if the other three are losses? Fresno State, getting off to a good start. Oregon, conference game and recruiting. Notre Dame, rivalry and national perception. Washington, conference game and pecking order. Utah, Conference game and South Division tiebreaker. UCLA, LA dominance and sanity. John and Brea.
0: I, I mean, they have to win the. Obviously, they got to come out and play well against Fresno. I mean, you can't lose that game. I mean, it's just it's too. Uh, you know, that game at home, you just can't can cannot do it. And I saw uh, one odds that they're eleven and a half favorite, eleven and a half point favorites or whatever. You just can't lose that game. Uh, too much riding on it. I think the other two. Boy, that's a hard. I mean, Utah is so important for the Pac 12 South. And I think they got to win the Pac 12 South. And they get Utah at home early. That's really big. Uh, And then you got the two arch rivals. And USC, one of the very few teams in the whole world that that has two arch rivals. I guess now that Notre Dame doesn't really play Michigan regularly, um, USC might be the only team in the country that has two absolute arch rivals, uh, that they play every year that you have to beat. And, uh, you know, Notre Dame at Notre Dame or UCLA, you know, after what that horrible loss last year, I mean, I, I, I don't know which of those two I'd single out. I mean, if you could do something at Notre Dame, you kind of, uh, announce your arrival. Uh, but then, you know, here I am, I'm skipping the Washington game, which is, the you know, the game before Notre Dame. I mean, I think what this you look at the schedule, and that's a great question from John, you realize there are a lot of challenges, but there are so many opportunities for this USC team. I mean, it's the kind of schedule that if you're back and you want to show people you're back and you want to convince yourself you're back, you're going to get a lot of opportunity to do it. Uh, but I, I just think you have to beat Fresno. You've got to beat Utah here. And then... Then go wherever you want with, uh, you know, with Washington, um, Notre Dame and, and, UCLA. And then again, you get Oregon here the second half of the season, who, who I kind of think is a little overrated. Uh, but, uh, there's so many ways to go with that question.
1: Yeah. If you just yeah.
0: pick three games.
1: It's tough. Like looking at it, the six games. Like okay, if we want to do some kind of food analogy, or, or so if you're a chef, <laughs> you're in the kitchen. Uh, like what with, with Dan said, with Fresno State coming out of the gate, that's kind of like your knives. Like you need that. You need your knives to cut. The, if you don't, if you don't have your knives, you're not chopping vegetables. You're not doing anything. Like you need to be at Fresno State or I, all the other games are kind of mute. Like you just. Yeah. It's, so those are like the basic equipment that you need to just even get started. Um, if you're looking at Oregon, that's like the other end of the spectrum to me. That's more like, it's like a walk. Like it's, it'd be nice to have, like, it's great to be at Oregon, but like, you don't need to cook. You don't need to walk to cook, you know? And then the other ones are sort of like a mixture of, uh, you know, really important, like, you know, pots and pans, your stove, things like that. Hard to rank. I, I think Utah has to be there because winning the South is so important. So Utah's yeah, going to be my stove. Like if you don't have okay. fire, like you don't like. it's just not going to matter. Like you're not going to win the competition. So uh, winning the competition is winning the South and you need, you need a heat source. Otherwise there's no point of, uh, you know, all the chopping and stuff you're doing with those knives. So I think those are like probably the two most important. And then I don't know if I would put Washington above UCLA or or Notre Dame. I think you kind of have to go with your, your rivalry games. UCLA is a PAC 12 South foe. So if that's really your ultimate goal, maybe you have to put them, you know, up there, that's your refrigerator or something like that. The salt. Uh, yeah. And then, everything's
2: it, bland. If you don't beat your, you need some rival. seasonings. Yeah, yeah. Yeah. So,
1: okay, <laughs> this is good. So we need some seasonings. So I, I'm going to go UCLA would be, uh, the, the refrigerator. Cause you want, you know, keep stuff cold and everything. Okay. And, uh, Notre Dame is going to be your your spice rack. You need the seasoning. Like if you if you can beat Notre Dame, you can add a lot to your dish. Like beating Notre Dame changes the dish completely. So you got some paprika and some thyme and all. You're you're really working the stuff there. And Washington, uh, let's see.
2: I like how you made this question ten times harder it's by like, harder, yeah. making a comparison. <laughs> yeah, to, I
1: don't know. I'm not. I'm blanking of things uh, in the kitchen. But what you know, Washington's important too. But I don't think. I think you kind of go with the other ones as the most important.
2: Yeah, I would say Fresno State, because you can't, like you said, you can't lose that off the bat. Everything else, you know, the Fire Helton thing would just start over. Yeah, Utah and UCLA, I think you have to go with those two because ultimately if you don't take care of the South, it's over. It doesn't yeah. matter. I think you can write off Notre Dame. Um, The Pac-12 North foes, you know, people can make excuses for that. Whereas if you lose to Utah and UCLA and Fresno State, it looks really bad. Yeah. So that's what yeah, I'm I mean.
1: What, you, there's excuses for Washington because it's on the road. Uh, you know, it's a tougher uh, it's a tougher opponent. That's your like fancy mixing mixer mixer and stuff that you can make pasta with and everything. Oh, OK, so I think it's you know, I think that's an important one. I I almost look at this more. I think it's more important than than Oregon just because 2016 you went on the road and beat them up there. And that was like a, a huge boost for the season.
2: Uh, no, they lost Oregon.
1: No, no. Uh, to Washington.
2: Oh, got it. Yeah. You said Oregon. Sorry. My bad. Oh, no, I'm sorry
1: for the for the on the road against Washington. But yeah, yeah, they're. I think they're all
0: important.
2: But, yes. Yes, they are.
0: But and I got some food analogies going.
2: Well done. Yeah.
0: Nice. Heck of a job. <laughs> I, yeah, I just think I, I do think you got to take care of the South. I don't know that I'm as in, you know, infatuated with Washington and Oregon as, as some people are. Uh, I, I just, you know, I think. Those games take care of themselves. And obviously with Notre Dame, they got an awful lot back on defense. Uh, so, uh, I think we'll see, you know, how that game plays out. But, uh, but I, yeah, I think, I think the, uh, you know, the one, two, three have to be Fresno, Utah and, uh, UCLA, as you guys said. You gotta make up for, you can't let that UCLA program at this point in time. Win two straight against USC. I mean, you just can't. It just, it, yeah. it's just, it's as important on the back end as uh, as Fresno uh, State is on the front end. I mean, yeah. you just cannot allow allow that to happen, and and, and you can't lose to them at the Coliseum. You no, just, uh, I mean Chip Kelly, he
1: just, had to feel like that was stealing last year, like to get that win. Like, I don't yeah. think that was expected. So.
2: We have mm-hmm. a question from Scotty and HB. He says, with all the hubbub about Brew, McCoy, and Chris Steele possibly transferring to SC, do we know if they looked as good as advertised during spring camp at Texas and Florida, respectively? Curious if you heard any reports of their progress and if they can excel at the college level thanks and fight on, Scotty and HB.
0: Well, I mean, Brew, they certainly... You know, we're in love with him at Texas. I mean, they thought he was going to step in, uh, you know, start a starter, starting role and, uh, you know, give him that big, tough, uh, you know, wide receiver that they needed a replacement wide receiver that, uh, you know, with, with the good quarterback that they've got. Um, but I think they, they were really you know, counting heavily on him and he was their number one recruit and, there's just so much you know invested in was you know the story of you know, leaving u s c for Texas was such a, a you know plus for Texas, and then to have a you know they have a turnaround on him was hard i think for them to take but but yeah I think they had him he uh, had absolutely going to be a you know a major part of of their offense and uh, and felt like he stepped in you know really well I think with Christio you know, in Florida they had a, a, an injury uh, to a potentially starting uh, court- cornerback. So he, he basically was a starting cornerback, um, you know, all spring at Florida. So, uh, yeah, that's a pretty big deal. If you're a you know early entry freshman, kind of, you know, dropped into a starting cornerback spot at a place like Florida. So, uh, and he was their uh, top recruit in, in this class. So, uh, uh i mean I, I think both of them did it absolutely as as well as you could you know expect them to do would uh Brew, you know i mean would uh chris Steele be starting next year i don't know that we knew that because of the injured you know cornerback coming back or not um but you know if you're if you're starting in spring in an SEC school you know where they have you know high hopes uh as a an early entry freshman you've done pretty well so so I think both of them were as much as you, we're doing as well as you could possibly have uh, expected them to do at their respective schools in the spring.
1: Yeah, the reports I read, there you can see a lot more at Texas than you could at Florida. But like Dan said, they're the, the highest rated recruits on both of those for both of those schools. So big deal uh, getting both of them to uh, you know switch and come to USC. So certainly. Uh, you know, when you saw those guys out of high school, they looked like they were going to be dudes that could make the transition uh, from high school to college fairly easy. It just looked like they are physically developed there. You know, you know, sometimes you have to worry about the upside. Maybe they've peaked, things like that for, for players that are kind of physically developed like that. But just the reports we had heard early are, were good. Now we'll, uh, we'll see how they look this summer and, uh, and fall camp uh, at USC. So it should be
0: interesting. Indeed. i mean the one thing that you probably don't have to worry too much about the transition is from the high school league where those guys are playing to college football at any college level is not a big adjustment i mean i would guess that what the trinity league kids had the least adjustment uh, to make to college any uh any high school kids in america i mean if you're playing you know week you know back to back against the likes of you know bosco and modern day and or, you know, you're one of those uh, guys competing with your, you know, modern-day teammates every day, uh, you're ready to, you know, you're ready to make that, that step from high school to college. It's just a, it's a much smaller step uh, if you're coming out of the Trinity League than, than I would say any other league in America. If There's nothing that really compares. Yeah.
2: We have multiple questions from Eric in Duck Country. So he says, one, do you think Carroll Fultz's exposure to UNC basketball is comparable to USC football? Two, if this team, coming off a 5-7 and seven season, opened 2019 with a game against Chattanooga, what do you think the attendance would be? Three, finally, everybody is talking about when Larry Scott's contract expires. Why do they have to wait for that? Is it so ironclad that he can't be fired? Thanks, as always, Eric in Duck Country. If you need me to repeat two and three, Dan, I can
0: Uh, You might have to repeat one. I mean, (laughs) I think Carol, I think North Carolina basketball. It's it's different. It's not like USC football. It's hard to compare the fan bases at USC or the kind of the situation. I mean, North Carolina. Honestly, they were going to do. I mean, and they they're a school that prides itself maybe like uh, Virginia as a top twenty five academic program, a, a, a public school but a a top 25 program, and they were willing to basically just say to the NCAA, we have no academic standards, therefore, you can't do anything to us, because we decided that those bogus courses were just as good as anything else. We don't have any academic standards that you could compare them to, so you can't... and, And that, I mean, they lost their Southern Association accreditation uh, as a result of that. And they were willing to take it because basketball means that much to them. Football for USC, it's just different. The, the West Coast is different. I mean, the fans are different. Uh, and I don't think USC would have sacrificed its academics uh, for um, uh to beat the NCAA, if you'd have given USC the choice and said, here, if you do this, you can beat the NCAA, I don't think USC would have made that choice. Now Carol Folt was in a place where that was the choice that he had to be made. Uh, And she figured out how to, you know, negotiate her way through that. Uh, So I think that's the the plus for her is she, she managed to, you know, uh, to do it, to get them through it. They didn't have to give up any championships. They didn't have to, you know, they don't lose anything athletically. They lost something academically, but I guess they figured we'll get it back and, and it'll, you know, it'll all be over and, and we'll have not had to, you know, give in to the NCAA. If that, if that works at USC, that's great. Um, but I thought she, you know, she was tough minded and, you know, willing to, you know, figure out a way and uh, suck it up and, and get through it. How does that, you know, translate to USC and football? I really don't know. I guess I don't I don't know. I mean, there's so many things that need to be done in terms of the athletic department and, the, you know, the leading sport is, is, is obviously football. And, uh, you know, did she hit the ground running? Has she made some decisions already? Did she have some people in line, to, you know, to come with her? I don't, I don't think we know any of that, you know, any of those stories, but, uh, uh, it's going to be interesting. Why? I just, I, I don't know that there's a transferability between, um, North Carolina basketball and USC football. They're really different and and, in a lot of ways. And and she's probably going to have to learn that. I mean, she went to undergrad at, you know, UC Santa Barbara. So she kind of, you know, gets the, you know, the West coast, uh, you know, culture and the way we we approach things out here, but uh, but I don't I don't think we can make that judgment. Yeah. Go ahead, refresh me on two and three here. Two is uh,
2: if this team coming off a five and seven season opened two thousand nineteen with a game against Chattanooga, what do you think the attendance would be?
0: Uh man. So, hey, assuming, when I was a, uh, so when, assuming this
1: was still the newly renovated one, so it would probably <laughs> get a little boost being the first game, also.
0: Yeah, when I was at Xavier, we had we had one of the four uh, Division One uh, Catholic universities that had Division One programs with Notre Dame, Boston College, and the University of Dayton. And we opened with Chattanooga. Uh, probably uh, seemed like fairly it wasn't that unusual to open with Chattanooga. Uh, yeah, I just there's that would make it hard. I think Chattanooga would would be a, a really tough sell, and that would. Um, that would take you away from you know your uh, streak of never having played an FBS or uh, uh, an FCS school, so I think that would hurt uh, you know from that standpoint. So uh, so I think Fresno is almost the perfect opener. I, I really do. I think they're going to bring fans. There's going to be you know a, a competitiveness about the game. Um, you know it's something that that carries you through the you know through August. Um, you know, there'll be some back and forth between the fans and, and all of that. I just think it's, uh, it's the absolute, you know, they're a respectable opponent. You know, they've done wonderful things under Jeff Tedford in the Mountain West Conference. Uh, and so, you know, I just think you, you, do, you would not have wanted to be playing at Chattanooga, I don't think, uh, in any way, uh, you know, for this game.
2: And then number three, he says everybody's talking about when Larry Scott's contract expires. Why do they have to wait for that? Is it so ironclad that he can't be fired?
0: Yeah, I mean, if i this is where you wish USC had the ability to really uh, show some leadership, uh, because I do think there would be ways in which you could have negotiated uh, with him for non-performance uh, and. You know, and just the idea that he's, you know, making over $5 million a year is just uh, insane. And the idea that, you know, he gets double salary because he's running the Pac 12 networks is just, you know, to what point? I, I just saw the, the SEC released some information about their uh, baseball season. They had 500 baseball games televised this spring in the SEC. I mean, and I know we hear all this time about 850. Uh, you know, athletic events in the Pac 12 over a, a year's time, and that that's so unbelievably good. The SEC did 500 baseball games on television, not on the SEC network, but televised somewhere. And, uh, just the idea that, that, that the Pac 12 networks should earn you any extra money. I mean, I just think, you know, you would have liked to have seen the Pac 12, you know, presidents renegotiate with Larry and say, Larry, here's the deal we don't think you're worth, you know, we don't think you're worth this. And uh, we're going to have to come to a, you know, and have a list of things that we don't think you've performed well. And then you would have had the, you know, the whole replay, you know, embarrassment from the USC Washington state game, which, uh, you know, the unethical nature of that and the inability to even understand, you know, or have any standards that would tell you that that's just absolutely can't be done. And, and your number two guy is the guy that was, you know, in the middle of that, uh, just, you know, unacceptable. So yeah, I I would have liked to have seen the PAC 12 start to look at ways in which, um, they maybe could usher out the Larry Scott era before, you know, whatever the next three years run out on his contract. I think it would have been very wise, uh, you know, for them to explore, Uh, explore those options. Uh, But it doesn't doesn't look like they are.
2: Well, keeping in line with what you just said in our last question, Gregory from the OC says, USC... Uh, university president carol fault will be coming on campus soon in my opinion usc must lead the way out of horrible status quo management of incompetent larry scott what possible pathways would be ex- effective in getting usc and a more lucrative financial arrangement going forward how many pac-12 university presidents or presidents are on record wanting to make constructive changes to larry scott's bridge to nowhere thanks for all you do gregory from the oc
0: Yeah, I mean, I think they should have started a long time ago, saying um, we got to go back to an eight-game schedule. You know, if we're going to be competitive uh, nationally, uh, that you know, that's what uh, you know. The schools that are mostly, almost all the ones that are making it to the uh, college football playoffs are coming out of eight-game schedule. And I would have said USC should just say we do not, we can't play nine games because nine conference games means. Every other year, we're going to play five road games in the Pac-12. Pac-12 has of the five of the Power Five conferences, the Pac-12 is the uh, is the worst attendance-wise. I think I just read the other day an average crowd of forty-six thousand, and I just think USC should make the case that look, it's just not worth it to us. Uh, John McKay made it you know forty some years ago about how he wanted the Northwest schools to you know bring uh, come to uh, LA three times for every time USC went up there um, because the money didn't make any sense. And I think in a lot of ways it doesn't make sense. And, and I think USC has to you know make it clear that they're going to look around. They're going to talk to other people. They might, you know, and, and I thought somebody mentioned um, that I had been talking about maybe USC and, and, and UCLA uh, talk about, you know, going, taking L.A. to the Big 12. There are only 10 teams in the Big 12 conference, and they've already gone way past USC in revenue per school, over $40 million per school compared to the $31 million that the Pac-12 is giving. Plus, they keep their own local rights, which are, you know, $15 million for Texas. Uh, so they're making so much more from their conference affiliation. I thought, well, what if you offered them the, you know, Los Angeles in California, uh, you know, and basically you'd have a California-Texas league uh, that that would be, you know, terrific. But but another somebody else said, well, why don't you instead of UCLA take uh, Arizona State, and then you offered the number two uh, media market in Los Angeles and the number four media market in Phoenix, and um, and you take those and offer those to the Big Twelve. Uh, you would think the big 12 would say, you know, that's really, you know, let's go for it. And, uh, and yet, and maybe just do it in football, just see if you could do it in football and do what Notre Dame does, uh, you know, where you, you, you would admit, uh, commit to the PAC 12, you'd give them a half a schedule every year, like Notre Dame does in the Atlantic coast conference and play your other sports there. I don't know if any of those things will fly. But there are a whole lot of things you could be thinking about and you could be exploring and you could be asking around and you could be talking to networks and talking to NBC, for example, and say, you've got Notre Dame. Would you want a USC? If we get back to where we've been, you know, where USC is USC, would you want that? You know, so you'd have, you know, two games on a Saturday, an early game and a late game, or you have something every single week because on the road game on the road weeks for notre dame nbc doesn't have anything so there are just a whole lot of things you could be exploring and i don't know that any of those are being explored and uh, i think that's just a, a, a terrible uh, you know yeah. waste uh, exploring is the key not.
1: you got to explore and you need good leadership to do that and usc hasn't had that so you're not
0: getting anyone even
1: looking at those possibilities
0: and you're in Los Angeles, for God's sakes. I mean, it's not like you're out in the middle, you know, podunk or somewhere. I mean, you, you, say, say you talk to the Big 12, and you're talking to schools that are in, <clears throat> you know, Norman, Oklahoma, Stillwater, Oklahoma, and Manhattan, Kansas, and Lawrence, Kansas, and Lubbock, Texas, and Ames, Iowa. You think they'd like to hook up with Los Angeles? You think? Yeah. I mean, just, it just have that conversation. And then... If you go back to the Pac 12 and you have a conversation about, you know what, we're thinking we'd like four, just four home games and four away games every year in the conference. And the schools that recruit in Los Angeles who've been saying, no, 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 we need nine. We're going to, nine, it works for us. We don't care if it doesn't work for you. If they know you're now talking to the Big 12 or NBC or whoever, they talk to you in a different way. Right now, they dismiss USC. They could care less what USC wants or doesn't want, or what works for USC or what doesn't work for USC. They couldn't. They just couldn't care. It doesn't matter to them. You got to make it matter to them. Yeah. You got to make them think. Uh oh. Uh oh. What if we? What if they really stick to what the? You know. What if they do come up with a? An alternate solution, and then we don't get to play at l a ever uh- oh
1: yeah, <laughs> maybe like one give less game every to think about yeah, one less game yeah. every six years in l a or not going at all yeah it's like which which would you rather have you know so give give them something to think about Dan, I like it
0: but you know we we can have this conversation I'm not sure we could have this conversation we're having right now in any athletic department office at u s c I think we'd get a blank stare if we had this conversation. It'd be like, what? What will we, what? uh, No. uh, They're just, they're not there. Yeah. They're not thinking those thoughts. And you have to start thinking, you know, what's best for USC? Yeah. What works for USC? And nine games every year in the Pac 12 does not work for USC just does not work.
2: So we have one final question, and it's an interesting one from Don. He says other than entertaining and keeping the fan base updated, where does uscfootball.com desire to make an impact relative to the usc football program?
1: Uh mm. interesting. I mean, we we cover the team, so we're not involved with the team. Yes. So
2: Even though people get that confused all the time.
1: Yeah, like we're, you know, we're not on the road uh, recruiting, trying to like, hey, uh, you know, Bryce Young, you should definitely sign with USC. Like, that's all NCAA violations. Like, we're not, we sign all kinds of crap when we go cover games that you can't be. You're, that's not our job. Like, we're not, yeah. we're not trying to do it. You know, I think if we do a good job, like we get better coverage of the team and better promotion of the team. We, I think, we probably help players develop their media skills because USC has been open with allowing players to get, so that's kind of a side benefit that we provide, but we're not there to uh, help win games or recruit players because that's not not allowed and that's not what we're supposed to do.
2: It's also just a journalistic boundary as well.
0: I mean, you know, we would like the program to be, obviously, the better the program, the better opportunities we have to do good stuff and more people will want to, you know, read it and, and you know, stay involved with uscfootball.com. So I think there's a, you know, a self-interest there. But I think we'd also just like to, like with all what we just talked about with the Pac-12, if we could influence anybody, you know, to start thinking those thoughts about the Pac-12, or if, you know, if USC's talking about, oh, we can't keep playing these uh, FBS schools, we just can't find them, they cost too much to bring them in, we may have to, you know, m- leave the three schools that, you know, have never played down Notre Dame, UCLA and USC. And and we would probably, you know, really try hard to convince USC that's not the right way to go and that there are other options and other ways to go. And, you know, you can't just give up on it and you gotta, you know, as we say, push harder, um, you know, for, uh, uh, for the pac 12, uh, you know, to, to change its scheduling model and, uh, you know, give you more flexibility with your own schedule. So you could have more home and homes and, and that, uh, for example, UCLA has done a much better job in the future of home and homes with really big name schools because UCLA does not have the every year Notre Dame game. So USC, UCLA has got more flexibility, even with the PAC 12 schedule uh u s c needs that maybe that one more game a year to have more you know flexibility with the schedule but uh but yeah I think we're just we would like to bring in you know what we know about college football and how it works and how it works successfully and how it works successfully at u s c and and let people know you know what the possibilities are and and, and what maybe you know they can try to influence. USC in their own way. I mean, there are a lot of people who have a lot of ways that you could try to, you know, influence USC to get it, you know, to get it done. And uh, you know, we'd like to try to inspire, you know, some of you, uh, you know, to do it that way. We and we we'd also like to tell the you know the good stories about yeah. you know the USC players and coaches. There are a lot of them, and uh, and uh, you know, but I think the the biggest one and the most important one is if you're successful at what you're trying to do if you set out to be successful, you develop a plan, you stick to it, you become better, you really, you know, you work at it, you work at it, you compete. And uh, I think that's the story, you know, we'd like to like to always be able to tell is that, you know, USC is, is going to compete and they're going to do what they, they say. They really want to be nationally competitive you know, competing for national championships every year. Well, I think one of our jobs is to hold them, to that yeah. standard that they set for themselves.
1: I think holding accountable is an important one. I mean, certainly telling the story, there's a lot of great players. There's a lot of great people in the athletic department and the football team. And I know because the leadership is poor a lot of times that sometimes that gets lost. So I think that's one of the things we do try to do. And you you know, you know talk about some of the positive aspects. There's some great people there. You want to kind of share their stories. But also it's a, you know, you're holding people accountable. When you see, you know, if you don't like the way the Coliseum looks uh, you, you know, you talk about it and like, Hey, that could have made a, a positive change if anyone at USC leadership was listening and all the fans that were like, we hate this. We hate all the, the people that were in their seats for 40 years that they hated that they had to, to move and all that stuff. Like, I think we did our job there now. It didn't change anything. Nobody listened, but that's sort of a thing where you're holding USC accountable or if, or if a, like a shotgun tweets out, hey, USC only had nine men on the, the PAT, like does that impact something at practice where they're like, hey man, this is, a media person pointed out this is like the fifth time this happened this year. We have to do something different uh, at, at practice or in game so we're not sending out less than 11 people on special team play. So I, mean, I think there can be, a. it's not something we're trying to do, but that's, you know, I, th- I think you do try to hold them accountable and then, you know, that might make, for some positive change for things.
0: Well, I mean, we do get some results, uh, <laughs> as I recall with the, uh, the mention of, uh, of the song girls disappointment with, uh, uh <laughs> some of the things that were <laughs> happening in football and then they were disappeared in the uh, basketball. I don't know if that was on account of that, but it, you know, one thing happened, we happened to mention it. And then the other thing happened. Yeah. So
1: I think back when, remember like when, uh, <laughs> Justin Wilcox and Sark, they were like, they blitzed the the least amount. And I like
0: wrote yeah. that
1: and we asked, like, so, well, you asked Sark and I goes late to, and I asked Sark again. And he was pissed when I asked him. But, um, uh, TBT. yeah, it was funny. It was, it was pretty funny. But like, I think they blitzed more after that, you know, so that was something that, yes, they did. like, we called yeah. out, like, hey, you guys blitzed the least amount of all the Power Five teams, you know, and, uh, and they had athletes all over the place. So it didn't really make much yeah. sense, you know, um,
0: so, well, I, guess, I think you also kept track of how much time they spent on special teams in practice. Yeah. <laughs> I think they did. They stopped spending quite so much time yeah. on special teams in practice. So I do think there's uh, I think those hit the mark.
1: Yeah. So I think, I think there's things like that Don that are um, you know, it's not our job to like have them fix stuff, but if we see, you know, issues that, you know, deficiencies or things that could be done better, uh you know we'll we'll point them out and you know sometimes they listen sometimes they don't but that's you know it's it's a different perspective like we're we're nowhere near i mean we don't know it's we're not going on the meetings all that kind of stuff but we get to see them a bunch and you know we can point out things we've seen uh compared to other programs and things like that so but interesting question don Mm -hmm.
0: yep very good.
1: All right. Well, I guess we're going to wrap it up here.
2: Wrap it up. It's a shorter podcast. Well done, guys.
1: It's how, what are we at for like length here?
2: I think we're around like an hour.
1: Yeah, just over an hour, which is still that's not I mean, it's a decent sized podcast. I was uh, watching uh, the U.S. women against Thailand. They're up seven nothing. Uh, a touchdown. For, yeah, they're up a touchdown on Thailand. Um, and it, <laughs> like, yeah, they came out the second half just started. I mean the like,
0: USC cause... women would be up. Close to a touchdown, <laughs> Thailand for
1: Thailand, man. Oh yeah, there. I feel bad, but um, yeah. yeah, it starts low for the U.S., but good. I'm not a big soccer person, but I like our, my country, so you know. And the women are good, where the men stink. So yes, will watch the women
0: play. Well, I think soccer is a better sport for women. Having uh, the one Olympics I got to cover, I covered both men and women, and it just seemed they play on the same size field, but the field is bigger and more open for the women so they can run more offense and do more stuff. Whereas the men have the physical ability to basically shut you down on offense. I mean, they can not let you play offense if they don't want to, whereas the women, they can play offense and they can run through, uh, you know, scenes that aren't there in in the men. So in some ways, uh, watching women, uh, you know, uh, soccer is better, you know, I like watching women play you know basketball that's awful you know compared <laughs> to the men because you know like the women's tennis sons, is
1: good you know we, the soccer is better probably you know women's
0: soccer women's is boxing better volleyball is awesome. I think I don't I'd rather watch women you know the women's volleyball you don't need total strength you need timing so there's a lot of you know I just think you know it just happens to be how the sport breaks down but uh, mm. um that I uh, women's soccer I think is a good sport uh good for, for television
1: women's boxing is pretty good i mean it's like watching rocky because they throw haymakers like if a guy did that you would be dead like you can't connect with and some of the women they'll they'll and they're bleeding and they're punching but they're not quite as powerful so they're like they don't kill you with these blows where like the rocky ones like any of those shots in rocky like you would be dead like you can't just get a punch like that um so i don't know pretty good keely's like sitting here
2: what i'm, I'm taking it all in
1: <laughs> interesting but the, yeah what we like, but I, I go I watch USA, women, go USA. I mean. you know, I'm, I'm watching them. I don't really like soccer, but I do like scoring. So seven, nothing to me is much more fun than nil, nil. And yeah, penalty they're appealing
2: kicks. to your, your complaints, Ryan. Yeah.
1: Yeah. Just like, I don't want to see offsides. Don't pass backwards. Uh, hopefully uh, uh, the reign of Troy people that love soccer are listening to this. They, they <laughs> love to me and make fun of their soccer stuff. Um, Football. But whatever, that's fine. All right, well, let's wrap it up. Uh, that's, Keely you're Dan Weber, I'm Ryan Abraham. Thanks so much for tuning in to the Parastyle Podcast, and we will talk to you next time.